left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. This is your host, Dave Bethay, and I'm joined by Scott, the Stat Assassin. And we're coming to you today from the Fanghorn 4 studio. And uh, we're here today to talk about NBA contracts. So, Billy, go ahead and hit that drop. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money so today we're talking about John Collins and his contract and whether or not the Hawks should max him out. If you're new to the podcast, this is our fifth episode and we are available on iTunes and Spotify. So we are bona fide, as they say. So uh, John Collins is coming off a phenomenal season, uh, that, a season that could have been more phenomenal if he didn't get popped with a 25-game drug suspension. And so putting up some of the really, really good numbers he did, which we'll get into, the question really becomes – what is his value? So when talking about max contracts, it helps to give a little background. So Scott, would you uh, like to go through some of the background of what max contracts are like and how they work? Yeah. So if you are listening to this, you probably live somewhere in the United States of America, which is big <laughs> on capitalism. Uh, you may not be aware that NBA player contracts are not quite so big on capitalism. It is not really a free market. There's bargaining agreements and they have uh, structures set in place to determine how much money rookies can make when they're drafted, right? And they also have some rules in place that determine the maximum amount a player can get paid. Yeah, and the bottom line is that you have some players that can't really get their market value. I mean, LeBron James, if he has paid what he was worth, even as like a 22-year-old would have been the highest paid player in the NBA or one of them. And he wasn't allowed to be. So that's kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about how it's not truly built towards capitalism. Right. And, and that's important because that has a lot to do with what we're going to get to later, right? Which is, should John Collins get this max or not? The traditional max contract is 25% of the salary cap. cap yeah. So the NBA is, you know, is salary cap like a lot of leagues. Uh, so 25% on one player uh, in a game that starts five players, you know, you have seven, eight, ten guys that are important contributors usually. That's a big mm-hmm. chunk of money right on one guy. Yeah. Now, in some cases, like LeBron James, that max contract is a steal. Yeah. Because he'll make <laughs> yeah. 30-something million, but his value per wins and revenue is, I don't know, $8,200 million a year. So they're getting a 50 to $70 million discount per yeah. season. And it's the same thing with Steph Curry. When Steph Curry, I think on a second contract, was making something like $16 million winning MVPs, unanimous MVPs. And it was one of the reasons the Warriors were able to afford Kevin Durant because Steph Curry was grossly underpaid as one of the best players in the NBA. And so the current salary cap projection is somewhere between about 115 and 116. And obviously with the coronavirus hitting, that's kind of in flux. But that would put John Collins roughly somewhere in the 28 to $30 million range because in 2021-22, salary cap is supposed to jump to $125 million. So again, the max, we can't give you the exact number, but you're talking about somewhere between about 28 and $30 million roughly. Is that how you understood it also, Scott? Yeah, and that's the per-year value. And it's, would it's per year a value, contract yeah. that would run four years. Yeah. So, you know, the estimation right now would be about four years, about $115 million total would be the total value. Yeah. And just to get a little mumbo jumbo lingo out of the way, uh, be aware that when you come off a rookie contract, a team can 
can label one player as a designated player and that player can get a five-year extension so they can get an extra year added. Now, if the Hawks do that with John Collins, what it means is that they cannot also offer the designated extension to Trey Young. And anybody with their brain knows that Trey Young, having just started his first All-Star game and possibly even making an All-NBA team, it's possible he can make the third team, uh, he's getting that max money. And he's getting that, he's getting that uh, fifth-year extension. So that yeah. limits your options with John Collins to the fourth year, the four-year contract. Yeah, Trey's going to be the guy that they really build around. And that's something that Collins, you know, is aware of, right? He's made a lot of public yeah. comments about wanting a max deal. Max contract, he yeah. has never made any public comments about wanting a fifth year, fifth year, right? Because he knows that's going to Trey, not to him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is a, quote, super max out there, right, that is um, – another level actually that exists for a very few small amount of players, but Collins doesn't qualify for that. Not right. having been all NBA oh, yeah. or MVP or anything like that. So. Okay. So he's eligible for this extension. The, the extension can start in the 2021, 22 season, which is his age 24 season, but they can agree to it during this off season. So took a look at some history and some guys that have gotten max contracts that are probably not as good a play, basketball players as John Collins. So the Hawks just had one of those in their roster and Chandler Parsons. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one was Hassan Whiteside with the heat who got, who's at the end of his max contract. Actually, I think he just finished his fourth year or he's finishing his fourth year with the Blazers. Andrew Wiggins inexplicably got the max from the Timberwolves. That's their problem. And Harrison Barnes as well. Now, I don't remember if that was with the uh, – Was that the Mavs, I believe? Mavs, or yeah. if it was with the, the Kings, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, I mean, those are four players that are definitely not as good at basketball as John Collins. Um, some guys that are probably in, the, in a similar tier or maybe just below him, arguably. I would, I would actually argue these guys are below him. Otto Porter, who's seen a little bit of decline in his game and some injuries. Uh, Mark Gasol, who at the time he was max, probably was an all-NBA type player and, you know, even won a defensive player of the year. And then Gordon Hayward, who when he got his max, was a, you know, borderline all-NBA, high all-star level player. Um, and then some guys that are kind of comparable would be guys like Kevin Love, uh, Andre Drummond, Al Horford, Mike Conley, Chris Stapps, Prazingis, guys that got big contracts also. Yeah, and those are some of the guys that are – probably in you know pretty similar tiers to John Collins here mm -hmm. and what you'll notice is that's a lot of good players that's a lot of players that have been or could be uh, part of winning teams right but you'll notice that's also not a list of just guaranteed hall of famers guys where you go getting this guy on your team is going to bring you a title that's not some guarantee they can be part of the team but they're not going to be the guy right and and that's kind of where John Collins is, and that's why yep. we have this conversation of do you max him or do you not max him? And, you know, the other aspect to why you have that conversation is if you don't max him, what do you do, Dude, right? Yeah. Because if you don't max him, that doesn't mean he's going to just say, fine, I'll play for you for less money. It might mean yeah. someone else maxes him. It might mean yeah. he gets mad and walks out the door for a lesser deal. An another uh, young forward, right, that we have mm -hmm. to compare to is Chris Stapp's Porzingis, which is a fantastic comparison. We can talk more about Trey versus Luca. So 
so new <laughs> and so exciting. Um, you know, but Chris Stapps is a guy who he's, you know, going to give you about 20 points a game and about eight or so rebounds, rebounds you know, so yeah. far over his career. Uh, so his numbers are, you know, also pretty similar to Collins, maybe a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Also and, has some defensive question marks. And at yeah. least he's not like some all-NBA kind of defender, no. right? Porzingis is a better defender than he's given credit for, but he's not hes not Anthony Davis. And the crazy thing is Porzingis made an all-star team, which is funny to think about, averaging 22 22.7 points and 6.6 rebounds. I mean, with low efficiency. You know, he was shooting 43%, 44, uh, 40 from the arc that year. But, I mean, that's nowhere near what John Collins' true shooting percentage is this year. Yeah, and John Collins' true shooting percentage is a little bit difficult to kind of dissect what parts are him and what parts of that are Trey Young. Trey Young, right? yeah. Because, you know, it's great for true shooting percentage. Uh, alley-oops. Very, very yeah. good <laughs> for your shooting percentage. Um, now, that being said, John Collins has sort of turned himself into – quite the solid three-point shooter as well right so he shoots well from three he shoots well from the line so he can legitimately shoot you know and that helps as well if you can shoot from three and you can get a lot of dunks that's very efficient and just so our audience isn't flying blind john collins stats for this year 21.6 points 10.1 rebounds 66.5 true shooting percentage which is absolutely astronomical just so you understand, that is the highest true shooting percentage by any 20-point-per-game score since Steph Curry's 2015-2016 uh, unanimous MVP season. So when we say that that's out, out of this world efficiency, it truly is because typically guys that have really high true shooting percentages are like are the kind of players Scott just said. They're guys like Christian Wood who catch lobs and don't do anything else on offense, and they score about 8 to 12 points a game. Um, John shot 58% from the field and led the Hawks by shooting 40% from three, which is absurd. And then he went also shot 80% from the line. And so and that's on three and a half threes a game, right? Yeah, so that's real volume. Like Steph Curry volume, but he's shooting multiple yeah. threes a game on purpose, right? Yeah, and he's not shooting two, you know, 1.5 a game, where it's not a real percentage. So let's take a quick look at some of the top power forwards and centers because that position is kind of blurred with some of these players. And Look at their contracts and see where we think John Collins could fall in that pecking order. So you have John Collins with stats we just gave you, and then Bam Adebayo, who just made his first all-star team at 16.1 points, 10.6 rebounds, uh, 20.1% PER, and 60% from true shooting percentage. So Collins does have better numbers, but one of the things that's missing there is Adebayo's huge defensive impact. And then you have some guys like Julius Randle, who's on a three-year, $62 million contract, averaging 19 and 10, basically. DeMontis Sabonis was one that's really interesting that we've already talked about in the past, you and I, Scott, where he's at four years, $77 million, which with his 18 he, and 12 – He's underpaid. He's underpaid now. Yeah, he's underpaid. Because the Pacers essentially kind of lucked out in getting him before he really ascended to where he is now. And they end up getting a guy that's going to be in a bargain for the next three years. And while we're on that point, you know, it might be the worst idea in the world for the Hawks to go ahead and yep. sign John Collins now. Yes. If you think he's going to continue to progress. I he's completely agree with that. Big steps every single year so far, right? Um, it, it's probably not super important because I don't think he's going to progress so much to make 
you know, first team all NBA or something to qualify for the super max. So, you know, the max is the max, whether he gets better next year. Um, But yeah. And the biggest thing with him is his numbers didn't take a big jump this year, but his efficiency did and he got better on defense. And so, you imagine, well, you know, what if he continues that defensive progression and then he gets a little more production next year? It's just – and I think his rebound is going to take a little bit of a hit with Clint Capella joining the team. That's not a bad thing. Blake Griffith's uh, – Griffin's rebounds went down when DeAndre George started playing for his team. That's a common thing you see because there's just less rebounds available. But um, a couple other guys to run through. Uh, obviously, Giannis, who is underpaid, is he's probably going to be a two-time MVP. He's on a $4 million, a four-year, $100 million contract averaging basically 30 points and 13 rebounds a game, one of the best defenders in the NBA, astronomical PER of 31.6. But, again, at 60.8 true shooting percentage, even John Collins is more efficient than him on offense, which is insane. Of course, he's not playing with the same volume. And when did Giannis sign that contract? I can't remember. He might have this year. next. It might be next summer. Yeah, he has next summer because he's not up for this summer because everybody would be freaking out about, you know, Giannis sweepstakes. Um, so the thing to remember there, right, Giannis is on a four-year deal for 25 a year. That's also signed multiple seasons ago. Mm-hmm. The cap is a lot lower then, right? That's true. Um, so signing somebody for $20 million a season two years ago is a lot more expensive more. than $20 million that Collins could possibly get two years from now. And that's a good point. People don't realize like we had that astronomical summer of 2016 where everybody signed these ridiculous contracts. And so you're like, why are the Hawks paying Kent Bazemore $17 million a year, which still looks bad now, but it looked awful (laughs) then at that point. Um, You think about this, Kent Bazemore is making the same as DeMontis Sabonis this past season. That's kind of insane. Um, Moving on, Anthony Davis, five years, $127 million with the Lakers. Obviously, he couldn't get what he probably deserved because he's playing on a team with LeBron James. Uh, Pascal Siakam just signed a max deal at four years, $130 million, and he's obviously turned himself into probably an all-NBA player, not just an all-league defender, but probably an all-NBA player. I mean, he's averaging 23-7. and seven. Nikola Jokic. At five years, he got a, uh, five years, $147.7 million, which I do believe is the Supermax contract. Um, and he's averaging 20 and 10, but that doesn't account for – I don't have his assist in front of me, but obviously he's an elite passer, super efficient on offense at 60% true shooting percentage. And then Chris Stepps Porzingis is Supermaxing at five years, $158.2 million, which is crazy. Um, you know, now that I think about it, those might not be super maxes. They just might be the five-year. Five-year. Oh, you're right. Because but, yeah. Porzingis couldn't be a super max because he did not make an all-NBA team. Yeah. It might just be the fifth year. Thank you for that correction, yeah. Scott. But but those are really, really big contracts, right? <laughs> Either way. So, And, you know, we talked a lot about some of these guys' numbers. Um, but the point is a lot of these people are uh, in a similar – tier right just as far as like okay guys that are forwards getting about 20 points and about 10 rebounds rebounds. generally productive and efficient that kind of stuff um we bring all that up because that's you know sort of the baseline for contracts because how much value your contract does or doesn't have is relative to the other players on another team right you're going to compete against these guys. If you're getting paid $20 million and you play better than the guy across from you getting paid 25, then that's a very good value for your team. Right. And so inevitably what happens is 
teams will re-sign some guy for 15, 20, 25 million dollars and people will just say, what? That much money for this guy? This is crazy. This guy's not Michael Jordan. <laughs> um, that's not the baseline, right? The baseline right. is, you know, how does he compare to Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, you know, exactly. Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic. He's better than some of these players, not as good as some of these players, right? So... And, uh, and that's the thing is you have to have a ground for comparison. So I think the biggest takeaway is that when you look at these, it's not hard to see someone offering Collins a max with the fifth year. I mean, it's, it's not hard to see someone doing that when you consider the fact that uh, you could definitely argue he's a better player than Chris Epps Porzingis. You could argue he's comparable to a Pascal Siakam. I think most people would take Siakam because of his defensive utility. But it, he, he, you could argue he's as good as a DeMontis Sabonis it's at least a discussion. And so it helps to compare those contracts. So with that, with that kind of data as a baseline, Scott, what do you think would be a fair contract to offer John Collins? So, yeah, we mentioned that Collins is asking for the max, um, whether or not the max is fair, probably still depends a little bit on what the actual salary cap ends up being. Right. right? So if the salary cap comes in pretty low, then it's a lot easier to max Collins because then in the future, it doesn't hurt you as much, right? Yeah, because um, the adjustment, the salary doesn't change once the salary cap goes up. So right. like it's 25% for the year you sign it and it stays at that ratio, which is an important note. Yeah, absolutely. So if you know that year is coming in kind of low on the tails of all kinds of nonsense going on, right? Um, then you could max him and say, hey, we did our absolute best. We can't, we're not legally allowed to pay you anymore. And everybody's as happy as they can be. Right. So if you're the Hawks, you know, what you would love to be able to get away with is instead of paying him 29 million a year, you would love to skim a little bit off the top and, you know, sign a deal for 26 million a year or something. Right. And it's just these little things at the margin, you know, two or $3 million here, two or $3 million there, right? A couple good contracts. And now all of a sudden you have five, 10, $15 million extra to go add a veteran player or two or a piece to make your team better. That's what they would love to do. Now the problem is, can you, or should you even bother trying to skimp a little bit like that on your second best player? Because that can really piss guys off when you're quibbling about, you know, whether it's 26 or 28 million. And if John Collins has a really good year in year four, if he makes an improvement again, which is done every year so far this season, and you haven't re-signed him, then what do you do when some team comes out and says, here's a five-year deal? Mm. The Hawks can only give him that five-year deal if they don't want to give Trey Young a five-year deal. Right. And one of the problems is, and we talked about this is, what is John Collins' ceiling? I would argue his ceiling is probably a low-level All-NBA player. Then that's if – and that, that, again, that's ceiling. That's not what I expect him to be. I expect him to be a multi-time All-Star. That's what I expect him to be. And I think his ceiling would be low-level All-NBA player, meaning he maybe makes the All-NBA team a handful of times in his career when he has great years. Well, what are your thoughts on that, Scott? Yeah, that seems pretty fair. Um, man, it just – it's really hard to project when he's still 22 and he yeah. has played only on bad teams. Things. His best season was this year where he only played 40 games because of some suspension and a shortened season, right? 
if you project the way that he has improved and grown so far, then it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, a guy that will be like second or third team All-NBA for, you know, five years or something in his prime because age 22, he's not even close to his prime. No. And so that's sort of the reasoning that could lead you to easily say, hey, max him because that max contract would be for what, ages 24 mm-hmm. through 27? Yeah that's a pretty good time to be paying him big money because he's not going to be too old. He's just going to be hitting his prime. So you may even be getting a little bit, little bit of a deal. The problem though is, you know, you did this whole rebuild uh, allegedly to try and, you know, compete for titles or something. Right. And so you have to say, okay, can you win a title with John Collins as your second best player? player. And that's a discussion we've been having. Or is he more of a guy where you could win a title as your third best player and the and thing is kind of borderline yeah and the thing is if he's your third best player where are you getting the money to pay that second best player behind Trey Young because you either have to draft a potential superstar and like for example if the Hawks had gotten the number one pick in the past draft and gotten Zion okay well then there's your second best player behind Trey and you just let John Collins develop and you pay him but you don't have to pay Zion for a while but Cam Reddish is not going to be Zion. Nobody's projecting that. That's not realistic. Neither is DeAndre Hunter. Neither is Kevin Herter. So do you hope that he turns into, and I hate to use the Warriors analogy, but he turns into Clay Thompson to Trey Steph Curry. You know, he turns into a real, a real true number two star, or you just become another one of those teams that's good enough to get to the second round and never go any further than that, which is where a lot of teams in the NBA are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, whether or not he can be the number two guy or the number three guy on a team that's really making deep playoff runs and, and trying to win a title has a lot to do with some of these small improvements to little bits of his game, right? right? So offensively, we've seen him shoot more threes and become more efficient at it. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things about his offensive game was well, great in the pick and roll with Trey, but he needs to space the floor a little bit, especially looking forward and where you hope to be. He's done that. That's a big plus, right? The other thing is defense. Uh, defensively, he was a lot better this year. Right. He still has a, a long way to go to be a good defender, right? However you want to define good, really. Right. Um, but the other thing is sort of positionally, right? Can he be somebody who is a rim defender and plays at the center spot? in a small ball lineup or even for large stretches of the game? Is that something that you can do? Yeah, if he gets to where you can do that, then how you build a team, like, you know, to try and win a championship becomes a lot easier, right? The more things a player can do, the more flexibility you have to find these other players. So, yeah. And it, you were mentioning rim protection. He, he increased his block rate from 0.6 to 1.6 this year, which is a huge jump. He just had such low awareness his first year or two in the NBA with his defensive ability. And he's one of those guys that he, he tries on defense, but you just always feel like he should be better than he is. You know, it's not, it's not lack of effort. He just sometimes is just kind of lost on the rotations and where to be or he's late. And he's gotten a lot better. But that yeah, leads to another – go ahead. I was saying that is something that is a hallmark of young players, young players. NBA, period, right? Like even the guys that are really good on the ball that are drafted to be defensive guys – they still look lost off the ball in their mm-hmm. first year or two very often, right? Uh, Cam Reddish. Yeah, absolutely. Great on the so, ball. 
And, and that's why we're saying all this stuff. There's a lot of kind of projection into it, right? You can, you can look and say, he's really improved a lot defensively. I think he'll take that next step or two. And if that's the case, Max is pretty safe, right? If you think that defense is never going to be there, then it's a different story, you know? And so we talk about sort of the team construction and team building, right? If he can't be a rim protector, you have to play him with uh, another big, somebody mm-hmm. at the five that can be a rim protector, right? So now when you're building this team, you have to find somebody who is the second best player because he's the third best. And you have to find somebody who can play center that can be a rim protector and not screw everything else up you're doing offensively. And so that's not, there's not a lot of those guys out there that can, you know, okay, what you have to pair them with Joel Embiid. Okay. (laughs) There's your entire pool of people to pick from, right? The, the, the perfect pairing for every team in the NBA is, is truly Jaron Jackson Jr. He's a defensive stalwart. That's a stretch five. I mean, He's like the magical unicorn center that every team in the NBA wants. And so that's like, you know, right now you have Collins with Capella, which could be a very good pairing because mm-hmm. Capella's not a guy that needs the ball in his hands. And, oh, and defensively, Capella is a, you know, mm-hmm. going to be a good run protector and he can help and or make up for John Collins and, and some other players on defense. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they actually play together because – Capella is going to be best offensively in the pick and roll, catching lobs from Trey. And that's also a big part of John Collins' game. So are they going to just clog each other up down there and be like running into each other? And I don't know. It could get pretty clogged in the paint. I'm not sure how that's going to work. We'll have to see. And that's the thing a lot of people have said. If you don't listen to the Locked on Hawks podcast, it's a great one. And Brad Rowland over there, who's a basketball nerd, talks a good bit about that. And it's, I think it's a concern that almost every person that watches a lot of Hawks and knew anything about Capella had. I mean, like, yeah, Collins can space the floor shooting threes, but John Collins got a good post-up game, which is kind of a lost art. And he can score in a lot of other ways. And, you know, will we lose his ability to score in those ways with Capella on the floor? And I think the final thing to th- think about is just what is the actual value of a big contract for Collins? Because when you look at the top contracts in the NBA, I mean – some of the highest paid guys in the NBA, they're not valuable to the teams. Tobias Harris makes $31 million a year. He is the 18th highest paid player in the NBA. That's not good value. Chris Middleton at $30.6 million, the 19th highest paid player in the NBA. Not good value. Paul Millsaps, Paul Millsaps, you know, good grief. Paul Millsap, $30.5 million. That's not good value. Kyle Lowry at $33 million. It's not good value. I mean, value is always relative. These players help their teams compete, so to them they're valuable. But as in terms of the market, like why does Tobias Harris make more money than Damian Lillard? It's hard to understand. And I think it goes to your point, and you pointed this out, that the most valuable contracts are generally not the contracts for your stars unless you, you get a situation like a Giannis where he outperforms his second contract and goes from being like an all-star to one of the two or three best players in the NBA. Yeah, if if your star that's on a max or a super max is a legit MVP candidate or a, a serious, consistent first team All NBA type player, those guys outperform their max contracts, right? And then once you get away from the max contracts, you have good value in rookie contracts, and that those two pools right there that probably makes up ninety percent of your good value contracts. And the only thing out there other than that 
is going to be, you know, the few veterans that are willing to play for cheap because they want to play with good players and win a title, which is basically an irrelevant tier of contracts because they only play for you if you already have the other two good contracts anyway. Right, right. So, So, you know, all the people that run to join the Clippers, the, uh, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Warriors, those kind of teams. And we've seen people do that. So, in summary, you said you're comfortable with a contract for John Collins in four years and how much? If it's the four years close to $115 million total, which mm-hmm. would be if the salary cap takes a pretty good drop, that's probably a contract, yeah, you'd probably okay. feel comfortable with. Uh, my starting contract for John Collins would probably be around four years, $100 million, and if the salary cap stays low, it'd be hard not to offer him the max because, like you said, it's going to be a bargain in two years. Yeah, it certainly would be a bargain compared to the max on a larger salary cap figure, right? And that's where it gets to the point where or do you really want to like fight and quibble over $1 million a year? Right. And so, like you said, uh, four years, $100 million, right? And so it's $25 million a year, a year would be a starting offer. Well, if the max is four years, $115 million, that's just under $29 million a year. So if your starting offer is 25, then, yeah, realistically, you would go to 26 or 27, no problem. While their starting offer was 29, are you, you're really going to say, oh, we're going to pay you four years, $110 million, instead of four years, $115 and you know piss the guy off and alienate him because you're saying we don't believe you're a max player over right. that amount of money and here's what throws a monkey wrench into it we need trey young to not make the all-nba team yeah if he makes the all-nba team we're screwed because if trey young makes the all-nba team he's eligible for a super max which will really destroy our cap in about two years because yeah. he's got to get it so as much as i would love for him to get that honor we need trey young to not make the all-nba team to keep our salary cap hopefully intact because if that happens there's gonna be a whole bunch of this Show me the money! so in conclusion scott i think we both think john collins is a fantastic player he's a great young building block he's one of the picks that they've nailed and we want him to be around and i think we both agree that probably worth the max if it comes to that i don't want to put words in your mouth but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, really your options are basically the max or really close to the max or bye-bye John Collins, right? Yeah. And the other question is, if you'd let him walk, how easy to replace 2010 at super high efficiency and respectable defense? I, that ain't exactly easy to co- go get and bring back to your team because we just talked about what you're paying to get that from other players, and it ain't, it ain't cheap. I will say the only way that Collins walking could be okay is let's say that Trey really goes out and takes another big leap forward next year. You know, then the Hawks and Collins fight and and part ways. You would be sitting there with like 90 million in cap or Mm. something a year from now. And if Trey Young is really looking like he's, you know, an all NBA kind of guy just ready to play for 10 more years and you have 90 million in cap, you know, you sure, that maybe you free can, agent. Yeah. But yeah, that's a lot of ifs and you know, so that's probably not what you want to plan around. That's not the best way to construct right. your team. So that's the verdict. Uh, John Collins, probably worth the money. Let us know whether or not you agree. 
So that's it for this week. This is the Title Run Podcast. Thank you for listening.